Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. There can be no sting in death when a person is a Christian, for Christ has taken out that sting. There can be no victory in the grave, for Christ will one day empty the graves and bring forth his own in resurrection power. In Christ, we have life and hope, says Warren Wiersbe. Good morning, Wildwood Church. He is risen. Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 58. It's page 962 in the Bible in the pews in front of you, or the chairs in front of you. Death is man's greatest enemy. It was the greatest enemy of man when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians. As advanced as the Greeks were, in science and medicine and health and understanding of the body, they could not evade death, nor 2,000 years later have we figured out how to evade death forever. We may push it off a few years, but we cannot evade it forever. Now, death was introduced to humanity in the Garden of Eden in what we call the fall of man. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, created to live with God forever. That's how God created us in perfection, created to multiply and to spread his glory over the face of the whole earth to bear fellow image bearers. However, God gave Adam and Eve one rule in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. We see the rule, the one rule. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The the enemy of man, the devil, slithered his way into the garden and deceived Eve, who took some of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, seeing that it was good for eating, And she gave it to her husband, and Moses is clear to add, who was with him, who was with her, who should have stopped her, but he did not, and they ate of it. And the Lord told Adam, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you shall surely die. And death indeed came. As a result of the fall, man died twice. Spiritually, being cut off from God, and physically, being separated from the tree of life. But even as God was punishing Adam and Eve for their sin, the Lord promised that it would not always be this way. Death would not always have the final victory. In Genesis 3.15, As the Lord is handing out the curses to Adam and to Eve and then to Satan, the devil. He tells us that there would be a rescuer. One who would come and certainly defeat death on our behalf. Even if it came at great cost to him. This is what's known as the Proto-Evangelion. The first gospel, the first good news 
And God says that he shall bruise your head. He's speaking to the devil, the serpent of whom we said crushed the serpent's head. This is where that comes from, Genesis 3.15. God says to the devil, and he, the seed of, of woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We find the fulfillment of this promise in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, and he is God's solution to man's problem with sin and death. It is because of Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection that you and I have cause to celebrate on this resurrection Sunday. But do you know that we gather on Sunday. The church did not always gather, or the, the, God's people did not always gather on Saturday. But because of the resurrection, we begin to gather on Sunday in honor of that. So every Sunday is really Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Every Sunday is a celebration, but this is a special one. Because it's the Sunday after Passover and Jesus Christ was crucified at the occasion of Passover. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise given to us by God that death would not always win. Death would not always have victory. And we have cause to celebrate. So let's read our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 58. Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Jesus, we come into your presence on this special Sunday, on this special resurrection Sunday to give you honor and glory and to say thank you and to worship you with our hearts and our mouths and our minds. I pray that you would tune our hearts to your word and, and focus our minds to your word. And Lord, help us to hear and to understand the gospel and let it mobilize us to action. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. It's in quotes there. You see in your Bible that it says, in quotes, death is swallowed up in victory. That's an Old Testament uh, verse, and Paul is quoting that. Now, we must remember that death is not merely physical, because you certainly know that death still is part of our lives, even those that call themselves Christians. But we must remember that the Bible makes it clear that death is not only physical, but death is primarily, even to a higher degree, is spiritual. In other words, we're going to dwell spiritually forever. And there's a life and there's a death spiritually. Speaking to the Colossian church, Paul reminded them in Colossians 2.13, he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses... So they were alive. He's writing to people that are alive and breathing. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, your heart was hard to God 
and you were dead spiritually. And he also said to the Ephesian church, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, what, in which you once walked. And then he, he says, like everyone else, like the rest of mankind. In our natural state, man is spiritually dead. Even though we live, even though we breathe, even though we might do religious things and have some affinity to a higher power in our natural state, man is spiritually dead. Now, Satan deceived Eve, not with an outright lie. This is important for us to remember that Satan did not come with an outright lie, but rather a technicality. He simply twisted. He said to Eve, technically, you will not instantly die. And on some degree, he was right. Eve did not drop over dead as soon as she tasted the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. She did not die physically. But what Satan refrained from telling her is that she had a spirit as well as a body. And maybe that's news to you this morning. You have a body and you have a spirit, you have a soul. And though your body is alive outside of Christ in your sin and trespasses, your spirit is dead and you need to be made alive in Christ. What God said, you will surely die, he meant spiritually and there was an immediate spiritual death in the Garden of Eden and physical death soon came thereafter. Death has come to us, and though we live, we are spiritually dead except for Christ. And the message of the resurrection tells us that there is more to this story. Colossians 2.13 says, and you were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. It continues, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. Right, You were dead in your sin and trespasses, and God made you alive together with him. And that passage in Ephesians 2.1, it also continues. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, once again, brother and sister gathered here this morning or watching online, you may have a view of God, a harsh, tyrannical vengeful. And listen, God is holy and his wrath is holy. And he will pour out his wrath upon humanity. But look, in his mercy, he gives us a way to be saved, to be forgiven our sin while we yet have breath in our physical bodies. That's the gospel. While we live and breathe, we have opportunity to use our breath to call out, Jesus, you are Lord, forgive my sin and trespasses. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, hold there, Beth, you're on it. Or I'm sorry, Kale. <laughs> sorry. Usually it's Beth and, and she's on it. You're on it, Kale. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
In other words, before we could decide in our own strength that we're going to turn the corner and we're going to stop doing the things that we know we ought not to do and clean ourselves up, even when we were dead in our trespasses, now, Cale, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And if you want to hand clap, you can hand clap. Amen. Now, granted, death is still very much a part of our human experience in the physical world, but there is a death that leads to life and a death that leads to death. The death that leads to life is the ending or the death of a physical body of a born-again believer. Where does that term born-again come from? You were dead in your sin and trespasses, and you have been made alive. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So where do we get this idea of born-again Christian? From Scripture. The, the, the physical death of a born-again believer leads to life everlasting. Jesus said in John 4, uh, 6, 47, whoever believes has eternal life. Though the body dies, the spirit of the believer lives, and one day the bodies will also live again. This is the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And it's the broader context of 1 Corinthians 15. It is the Christian conviction and the doctrine of the church that Jesus will one day return, return for his church and the dead in Christ will rise first. Our physical bodies will be glorified just as Jesus' physical body, recognizable but seemingly without limitation, was raised from the dead. When Jesus returns, he's going to resurrect our earthly physical bodies that have died and that were buried, and they will be raised at the resurrection, and they will never be subject to death or decay. They will become what they were made to be. Think about this. Paul uses the analogy in this chapter of a seed that goes in the ground. I think about an acorn that goes into the ground, and what comes out of the ground? A better acorn? No an oak tree. And though our bodies with our limitations, as great as they are, thank you, Lord, for the physical abilities that you've given our bodies. Though our bodies go into the ground dead at the resurrection, they'll be raised, glorified like an oak, like an acorn turning into an oak tree. Now, maybe you're skeptical about the resurrection. Maybe you're thinking, nah, I don't know about all of that. I can deal with, with Jesus being raised from the dead. I don't know about us. But if you read the rest of the chapter, it's really a logical string here. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then even Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead... Then, brother and sister, Paul tells us that our faith is futile and we are still in our sin. Because if that is the case, Jesus was simply a man who taught some things and died and stayed dead. But is he risen? He is risen. risen. And if he's risen, then you and I will rise in the resurrection as well. The clear and consistent witness of the church 
in the face of intense pressure, going all the way back, we're talking about the very first disciples that walked with Jesus while he lived here on the earth, in facing intense pressure and persecution, even torturous death, the clear and consistent witness of the church has been, we have seen this Christ alive with our own eyes. Earlier in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 6, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, the 12 disciples, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now, we have this mentality of we're enlightened, we are logical, and everyone else in human history is not. The Greeks invented logic and philosophy. They were enlightened people. They were intelligent. They understood research. They understood medicine. They understood history. They understood law. And Paul says, Jesus appeared to 500 people, and he says, many of whom are still alive today. In other words, go fact check it. This man who died on the cross was buried is alive, and he appeared to Cephas, then the 12, and then 500 people, and most of whom are still alive today. And the consistent witness of the church, even as they're being slaughtered and and stabbed with swords and thrown off of the temple and stoned to death and hung upside down on a cross, is we have seen the risen Jesus Christ with our very eyes. Now, we don't have the luxury of seeing the risen Jesus Christ with our eyes. That's why it's called faith. But let me assure you, it is not blind faith. It is not empty, baseless faith. Real people that had real families and real feelings and real bodies suffered for, for refusing to deny what they saw with their own eyes. You may think, well, lots of people die for a false religion. Yes, lots of people die for lies that they have been told. But who dies for a lie that they made up? Who makes up a lie? We have seen Jesus and then allows someone to nail them upside down to a cross when all that they would have to do is say, we lied. Folks, you need to chew on that this morning because I don't know where you are. Do you truly believe the claim that we are making this morning? This is not sentimental. This is not feel good. This is not chicks and bunnies and Jesus empty tomb. This is life and death. And we are making the unequivocal claim that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and he died on the cross because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And he rose from the dead affirming everything that he claimed about himself. Namely, that he and he alone is the way to God. This is why Paul can say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Once again, quoting from the Old Testament, those who have faith in Christ have victory in death. Why? Why can we, I mean, victory still hurts. I mean, death still hurts us, right? You, you, you have experienced death. I have experienced death. We, we experience the, the, the pain of, of, of a body that's, that's failing and that's broken, and we live in a broken world. 
How is it that Paul can say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why? Because Jesus was victorious in death. And Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. Because I've been raised from the dead, you will also be raised from the dead. Because I have come alive, you will come alive. Because I'm going to my place in eternity in heaven, you're going to come with me. Amen? Now, without the antidote, a venomous snake's sting. Paul talks about a sting. Where is your sting? A venomous snake's sting. Or or a poisonous uh, creature's sting can cause death. So it's another way of referring to death, and it reminds us of the potency of death. And some of you know the sting of death all too well. Maybe you have come here dealing with the sting of death in your life right now. You have lost a loved one, or you have received that diagnosis that you only have so long to live. You know full well the sting of death. But I want you to notice that Paul is taunting death and he's doing so in the present tense. He's not merely predicting a future victory. He's not saying, ah, death, we're going to have victory over you. No, he's asking the question, where is your victory, death? Where'd it go? The, the power that death gained, the, the victory that death gained in the garden is lost. It has been plucked out of the hands of the enemy. And Jesus now has the victory. Where is your debt? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Gone forever. Glory to God and praise his name. Amen. He says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin. How did we get death? Think about this. God created everything in perfection. He gave us everything that we needed to live forever with him in the Garden of Eden. There's the tree of life and he's with us. How did we get death? Sin. Death entered through Adam's sin. Paul says in Romans 5, 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all because all sinned. Why do you and I experience death? Because we are sinful people. Before there was sin, there was no death. As I said previously, God has created us to live forever in his presence God created everything in perfection. He gave us everything we need. It was man's sin against God's one law. Think about that. One, you had one rule, Adam and Eve, one rule, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, no, you know what? We want to be the ones that decide what is right and what is wrong. We want to stand in the place of God and determine for ourselves. We want to be self-actualized people. And because of that sin, death entered the created order. Paul continues, and the power of sin is the law. 
J.R. Fawcett reminds us that without the law, sin is not perceived or imputed. This is Paul's point in Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes what? Righteousness. Through the law comes right living, comes perfection. No, it comes, comes the knowledge of sin. What, is the, what does the law do for us? Reveals to us how hopelessly wicked and depraved we really are compared to God. I've used this analogy before, the white sheet, the white paper teeth test. You ever do that? You ever want to know how white or how dingy your teeth really are? Get a, a piece of pure white paper and hold it up to your teeth. That's what the law does. You look at, you look at your mirror and you think, oh, okay, a little, little dingy. I could use some whitener or feel pretty good about my smile. Now you're all looking at mine. <laughs> feel pretty good, but then you, you put the white piece of paper up against it and you realize you're a long way off. That's what the law does to us. We think, well, you know, generally speaking, I'm a good person because I don't do X. Uh, it doesn't matter that I do this, that I do Y. I don't do X, and therefore I'm a good person. And the law says, far from it. The law brings knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law is not to make you righteous. No one has ever been made righteous. That's what Paul said that no one by works of the law will be justified in his sight, made righteous, perfect, acceptable to God. It's not to make us righteous, it's to make it crystal clear. It's to make it crystal clear because we are hard-headed people, amen? amen? And we have to have it drilled into our head. We are not good enough, not good enough, not good enough on our own to stand before God right and so the law has the effect of magnifying our sin so that we can see it. We want to treat it like it's fine print. How many of you open up the prescription pill bottle and read the 30 pages of fine print? And you need a magnifying glass. None of us. We want to keep it fine print. The law magnifies the print and puts it in bold relief. We in ourselves do not have righteousness. what the law does. It gives sin, in Paul's words, power. Because it reveals what God expects of us, and yet we do not have it within us to do it. Now, if I were to stop right there, would that be a, a very edifying, a very happy, very joyful message? You're all a bunch of rotten people, and there's no hope. Happy Easter. We got to get to the we got to get to the egg hunt. Sorry, we, I got more, but time. No, this is what makes the gospel good news. Unless you understand the bad news, you won't appreciate the good news. But this is what makes the gospel the good news. Thankfully, on the cross, Jesus not only bore our sin and died our death, but listen, he became the curse of the law for us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Sin and death and law 
all covered by Jesus Christ on the cross. This is why Paul can burst out in thanksgiving in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who wants to join in saying thanks be to God through who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? Anyone? All right. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word gives there is literally continually gives. It's a continual thing. Paul is thanking God for continually giving us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a continual provision, not a one-time offer. The victory over death is continually given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does God deal with man's problem of sin and death? It is not through wishful thinking. It is not through sentimentality. It is not through church attendance. It is not through being a good person. It is not in believing in some higher power. Rather, it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus won the victory over death, fulfilling the law and canceling the record of our sins by nailing it to the cross. Folks, victory belongs to Christ. Amen? He crushed the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15. He crushed the serpent's head, even though the serpent struck his heel. In other words, inflicted a blow that Satan thought, oh, I've won. And for about 36 hours, 40 hours, Satan thought that he was victorious. And then the sun came up. And the sun came up, right? Now, how is it that you and I experience this victory? Because the victory is Christ. How do we get the victory? How is this good news for you and I? Well, we experience the victory initially by faith in him. We are justified by faith and not by works of the law. Remember, Romans 3.20, I read that for you just a minute ago, by works of the law, now, uh, no man will be made right with God, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So by works of the law, uh-uh, not going to cut it. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. In other words, we don't have to keep going back. Can you imagine having every year to atone for your own sin, that was the experience of the Jews for a thousand years or more. Every year, the same thing over and over again. But Jesus Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ was sinless and he died a sinner's death that he might bring us to God. We do not make our way to God. We don't make a pilgrimage determining that we're going to somehow get to God. No, rather Christ brings us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. There was a great exchange that was necessary for you, brother and sister, to have a relationship with your creator God. You had to become the righteousness of God, and that was only available, possible, feasible, because of him who knew no sin was made to be sin, so that he would give you his righteousness. We call that imputed righteousness. And this is a gift that is given to us by God as a gift of grace. It's simply received by faith. Now, this is how we experience that victory. We believe the gospel. We believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we believe that we need that ourselves personally. But beyond that initial experience of victory in which our sin is forgiven and we are forever declared righteous, we continually experience victory as we yield to him. So we experience it initially by faith in Christ and then continually as we yield to him. Let's listen to to Paul, how he describes his experience, his conversion in Philippians chapter three. Not yet, Cale. Sorry, buddy. Paul had been brought to an end of himself. He was a righteous, a self-righteous, a religious man. He had a great pedigree, a lot of religious achievements. And he said that he counts all of that, being a Pharisee, being circumcised, being a a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he was in. And he says, I count all of that garbage to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, he says, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. Pause. That was his initial experience of victory. I've come to an end of myself. Jesus, you've opened my eyes. I now see your glory. And I see that everything that I used to pride myself in, all of my religious achievements, all of my accolades, all of my pedigree, my family heritage, all of that is garbage, rubbish, nothing. And I gain Christ. And I'm made righteous by faith in him. And 310 continues the thought that I may know him. So that was the initial victory. Now here's his life moving forward, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The Christian faith is more than a one-time experience. It is being made alive spiritually at one time by faith and then called to follow Jesus always. The Christian faith is a one-time conversion. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be given righteousness. And then listen, Jesus says, come, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It is a continual experience of victory as we yield our lives to him. Christians, I want to leave you with Paul's exhortations to live continually yielded to Christ in verse 58. 
He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We gather today to honor the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to celebrate his resurrection from the dead and the resultant defeat of death that, ju- that, that God has promised or had promised in the Garden of Eden. But the celebration of victory ought to mobilize us to action, not tranquilize us to inaction. As This ought to be a rallying cry, right? This ought to pump us up to go out those doors and to go to the people that are walking around, physically alive, spiritually dead, and say, I have the best news for you. You, while you are dead in your sin, are objects of God's wrath. And his standard is perfection, and there's nothing that you can do to earn it. But Jesus Christ died to pay for your sin. And he invites you to believe in him. And Jesus says that everyone who believes has eternal life. Brother and sister, what a shame it would be for us to walk out these doors this morning and get on with our lives as if the grave was still filled. But that is what it's like when Christians go about their lives without giving any thought of the gospel or the lost around them. May that never be true of Wildwood Church. Amen? Amen. That leads me to my final thought this morning. For those who may have come here this morning thinking, I don't really need what Paul has just had to say. You might have come here because this is your tradition. And I'm grateful that, you've hear, that you're here, you have heard the gospel, but you may have come here this morning because it's your tradition to come to church on Easter Sunday. Or maybe someone that you care about has invited you to come, and you should thank them for inviting you because you've just heard a message of eternal life and free forgiveness of your sin. Or maybe this is where you gather every Sunday morning, but you still think, I don't really need this May I urge you to rethink that. May I urge you to reconsider your position. I invite you to consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the claims that he made. He said that no one comes to the Father but by me. His resurrection is the stamp of affirmation that that claim is true, that, that he spoke for God himself, that no one comes to the Father but by him. Even though death is defeated, you will die one day. And you will stand before God as judge. And once again, in the words of Warren Wiersbe, in Christ, we have life and hope. But what does that suggest about the opposite. Outside of Christ, without Christ, we have wrath and we have judgment. And this morning I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ died for your sin and he wants you to believe the gospel and to follow him.
Will you ask him to forgive your sin today? Will you call him, acknowledge him, Lord of your life? And will you begin to follow Jesus by faith today? If you will, and if you have, you can confidently say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death is defeated. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that death is defeated. You promised it in Genesis 15. You fulfilled it in Jesus. I pray that you would be glorified now. Lord, if there's anyone that does not yet believe the gospel, that today would be the last day that they don't. Draw them to yourself. And Lord, for those of us that do believe the gospel, remind us that we live on mission every day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.